Good morning. Happy Sunday. I'm so glad y'all are here. Um, we do like to, to pray, and so I'm going to uh, open us in prayer this morning, reading actually a, a prayer from a different letter uh, that Paul wrote to a church in a town called Ephesus. And so uh, I'm going to invite you to pray with me, bow your heads and pray with me. I'm going to keep my eyes open so I can actually read. Uh, but I'm going to pray this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I want to pray that for us today. So would you join me in prayer? For this reason, I kneel before you, Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches that this church may be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you, Chapel Point, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you, Chapel Point, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to you, Father, who are able to do immeasurably more than anything we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work here this morning, to you be the glory, Lord, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Paul was a really good writer. That's good stuff. Um, I am so excited to get to bring um, open God's word with you this morning, humbled, uh, uh, rejoicing, overjoyed, and um, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. As Joel said, there's a, a difficult teaching today, uh, but a really, really important one. And so I want to root us for just a minute in, in where we're at in the letter to uh, Corinthians. So we call it the book of 1 Corinthians, but it's not really. It was a letter. So Paul wrote this letter. If you haven't been here a couple of weeks, let me remind you about what we're talking about when we talk about this church in Corinth. So Paul was a high-ranking Jewish official. He was a Pharisee. He was actually persecuting Christians. And then he's on this journey, and, and God blinds him on the road, and Jesus shows up in a bright light and starts speaking to Paul. And Paul says, who are, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, it is I, Jesus, whom you persecute. And then Jesus calls him, invites him to follow, and makes him actually uh, the first of many ambassadors for Christ who were converts from Judaism. And Paul ends up not, uh, not persecuting Christians, but being a Christian and speaking the gospel and planting churches. It's an amazing story of transformation. And so Paul, on his several missionary journeys, you can read about those in the book of Acts, you know, one of the places he goes is to this little town called Corinth. And that's what we've been talking about. It's a very uh, popular city in a Roman province. A lot of trade would happen through there, kind of crossroads of trade. And so as you can imagine, it's almost like a, a melting pot of ideas, a melting pot of culture. Sound familiar? And so when this trade and this business comes through and it brings the culture with it, it's bringing all different kinds of ideas. This was a polytheistic area. So polytheistic meaning many gods. Christianity, we believe in one true God. It's monotheistic, but that's where we're at. And so Paul has established this church in Corinth. Several years later, he gets word like things aren't going so good. And so this is Paul writing a letter to, yes, encourage them, but to also have some hard conversation. Do we have any parents in the room? Awesome. I love the baby D. That is so fun. Uh, I love being a dad. I have two beautiful daughters, and uh, they're quickly becoming young ladies. And, um, you know, God knew what he was doing when he made me a girl dad. I, uh, I, I love the cuddles and the hand-holding, and uh, every morning someone wants to sit on my lap, which I just think is great, and then uh, I 
painted fingernails. I have had my toenails painted. Um, I, I've tried to braid hair, but they both laughed at me. They were like, no, we'll just ask mom to do it. But I can do a really wicked high ponytail, no problem. I love my girls. I love, I love uh, encouraging them. Uh, I love cheering them on at games. But then sometimes you have to have a hard conversation. But we have the hard conversations with our children because we love them. And if you remember back to last week, Paul said, you guys are like my spiritual kids, and I'm like your spiritual father, and we got to have a talk. And so we're going to dive into this section of Scripture today as Paul dives into one of those difficult things he has to have a talk with them about. So because we love uh, the Lord and we love his word, I'm going to invite you to stand out of reverence and respect for it. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 together. Y'all know the drill. I'll read it. If it's underlined, that part's for you to read, okay? I can hardly believe the report about the going on among you, something that even the pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so of yourselves, but you should be in sorrow and shame. And you should this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I am with you in spirit. This is when parents say, I have eyes in the back of my head. I see what you're doing. Paul says, I am with you in the spirit, and as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I'll be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. And then you must and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be on the day the Lord returns. Your about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by this wicked person from among you, and then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is really what you are. Mm. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but that the new bread of sincerity and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. So as I started several months ago reading this passage, as Joel mentioned, a rookie mistake. I picked it on the date, not on the topic. But there's lots of difficult things in Scripture. Uh, it's not the only passage we see where we go, wow, this is a difficult teaching. And some things on its surface are very, very plain, right? So you could read this passage and you go, sexual immorality, okay, that's not good. Uh, living in sin with his stepmother, that's not good. And, and, and on the face, we can almost kind of move on. And then we read that part about, like, casting this man out and giving him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. You're like, yikes. But as I spent more time reading this passage over and over and over, and then I put it aside, and I'd think about it for days, weeks, and then I'd come back to it, God showed me something different. And it, it took me a second, but I remembered. This man is a self-proclaimed Christian. He's following Jesus. He might consider himself a transformed follower. He's involved in the local fellowship in the community of the church. He's a Christian. And 
He's engaging. When you, when you look at the text, the verb tenses show us he's engaged in ongoing sexual relationships with his stepmother. And the thing God brought to my mind is, what happened to this guy? Paul plants the church. Paul knows the gospel. We know he knows the gospel because he writes about it. This is very clear. He establishes the church. People are coming and being saved. They're repenting of their sins. And then this church establishes a group of people gathered to meet together. And now this guy is among them, and he's doing these things ongoing. What happened? So I kind of explored that. What could possibly explain how a transformed follower, a, a self-proclaimed Christian in a local community would do this kind of thing? And Paul says, even the pagans don't do it. It's that bad. So as I was mulling over, what kind of thing could explain what happened to this guy? I thought of a few things. One, you know what? Maybe this guy was never actually... A Christian. Maybe he'd never really given his life in surrender to Jesus. He went to church. He showed up for things. He broke bread with people. But maybe he'd never actually given his life in full surrender to Jesus. Or maybe he had forgotten what it meant to be saved from his sin and saved to freedom in Christ. Maybe he forgot that. Look, some of us have been Christians for a long time. Sometimes we can forget what we've been saved from. Or maybe he had actually allowed worldly influences to influence him and contaminate his view of the gospel and sin. He was in the world, and he was of the world. So I was like, well, maybe that's what happened to this guy. And then I started thinking about the church. And actually, I thought about you guys. I thought about this ecclesia, this church. I was like, what, what would have to happen for this church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? What would have to happen to Chapel Point for it to look like that? If we were living in that day, we would say to that elder board, we'd say to that church, y'all, what happened? Paul says in another book of the Bible, who cut in on you? What happened? And I could only think of a couple things. Maybe the church had become so numb to the culture around them, so tolerant of the culture around them, that they had let the culture seep in and influence the church instead of them influencing the culture. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe the church actually had an incomplete or backwards view of grace, and they thought, well, if I sin this much and grace covers it, then if I sin this much, then there's more grace. Maybe the church over time had lost or twisted their view of the gospel of grace. But, man, it's a heartbreaker when you think about it. What happened? So we're going to kind of explore that this morning. And as we look in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, my prayer for you all is that you would start to reflect and think about that question for you. What has happened to me? And we'll dive into that multiple times today. The first thing I think we look, when we look in the section that we see 
is this idea. Grace transforms us and frees us. Praise God. But it is not a license to sin. So you look at this man and you look at the church. It says the church is, he said, Paul says there's sexual immorality reported among you. That word sexual immorality, when translated in the Greek, is the Greek word porneia. It's where we get the word pornographic. So it's like Paul is saying, y'all, the stuff happening, the sexual immorality happening in your church and among the people of your church is pornographic. Even the pagans, the people who don't claim Christ, the outside world, those people, even they don't do the stuff y'all are doing. It's pornographic. And then he calls out this man, and again, the verb tense says this man was having ongoing sexual relationships with his mother and his stepmother. What? The church is acting prideful. They're being arrogant. They're boasting. One of the translations uses this word, glorifying it. And we actually read Paul's rebuke of this in the, in the end of Romans chapter 1. You can go read Romans chapter 1 later. Paul says, neither do they glorify God. They actually, they actually like their sin, and they give approval to those who do it. You do you, man. Whatever feels good. Somehow those ideas had crept into this church. And I think one thing we have to remember when we think about that grace transforms us and frees us, it's not a license to sin, The gospel is good news, friends. It's good news. And part of the reason why it's good news is because we have to remember what we have been rescued from. Our sin, it's not like a, oh, whoops-a-daisy. Oh, excuse me. That's not what our sin is. I want you to remember, some of us have been Christians for a long time. Some of you today sitting in here, you're not a Christian. You have not given your life to Christ. You've not reached out and grabbed the grace that is available to you. And I want to say one thing. I am so glad that you're here. But we have to remember what sin is. It's not a, oh, whoops, pardon me. No. The Bible tells us that God is a king of the universe, and he created everything and every living being, every tree, every plant, every puppy dog, every kitty cat, every beautiful flower, every beautiful sunrise, the water. Everybody loves the water in Michigan. He created all these things. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then God made man in his own image, and he said, it's not good. So he made a helpmate suitable, and he put man and woman together, and he said, oh, it's very good. God created all these things. And he was living in communion with Adam and Eve in the garden. It talks about how they walked together in the cool of the day. And God said, I'm going to let you guys steward this whole creation, but I just have one rule. I'm the king. Everything else you guys get to to, to be in charge of. And Adam and Eve, man, they couldn't handle that. One day they decided that they wanted to sin, which means fall short. And Adam and Eve effectively said, I'm the king. I'm the king. I'm going to decide what's good. I'm going to decide what feels good. And that's what sin is. If you go to any country, any country across the globe, and you ask them, if you commit treason against the king, which is what we do when we sin, we take God off of the throne, we put ourselves on it. We say, in my pride, I want this more than I want what you want for me, Lord. So I want to be the king. If you go to any country on the globe and you ask them, what is the penalty for treason? What will they say? Death. We commit high treason against the king of the universe, and the penalty is death. The Bible says that the punishment for sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
We have to understand what our sin is because when we understand what we have been rescued from, church, it makes the good news of God all the more glorious. And effect, we sing a song here about how great the chasm that lies between us. I had a chance a few weeks ago to fly to San Diego for a conference, and it was the middle of the day, and we flew over the Grand Canyon. That was super cool. You know what? It pales in comparison to the chasm between me and my creator that my sin has caused. The chasm between me and the Lord Jesus and God, my creator, might as well be a million miles long. And on my best day, my best day, when I'm being a very good and moral person, I'm doing everything right, the best I can do is leap three to four feet, and I'm still woefully short of being across that chasm. I can't have a right relationship with God on my own. I cannot. The Bible says if I've committed one sin and broken one law, I might as well have broken all the laws. And the punishment for sin is death. Death is separation from God for eternity. That's that chasm. It's a million miles wide. I can't do anything to cross it on my own. But God, because he is rich in mercy, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, God made a way for us through the person of Jesus. That is grace. I certainly do not deserve it. But he offers this free gift, and he puts me in right relationship with God. And I want you to think about something. There's a lot of worldviews out there, a lot. In the Christian worldview, we are separated from God for eternity. We cannot have a relationship with him except through believing and trusting in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then later in the same book, John says, and this is eternal life, that they would know God and Jesus whom he has sent. There is no other worldview on the planet that claims that we can actually know the king of the universe in a personal way. Not a single one. And that's only possible because of grace. Grace transforms us and sets us free. It's not a license to sin. And you see Paul Paul talks about in Romans 1, he actually addresses this. He says, are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? No! Our old self is crucified, he says in Romans 6. Our old self is crucified. It's dead. I am no longer a slave to sin. So why do I keep living like that? I'm not sure this man in the Corinthian church understood that. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace changes us. It transforms us. I want you to think about this. I really want Jesus in my life. But the truth of the matter is, I need him. I need him. David talks about, I, I, I thirst for you like the deer pants for water. I thirst for him. We need him. And then we can be put into right relationship with the creator of the universe. Grace is a beautiful thing. It's not a license to sin. And Paul says in verse 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So, I might as well say therefore, and so it's kind of like in light of what Jesus has done for me, let the truth of the good news of the gospel of grace change you. Let it change you. So then I think it brings us to the second thing we see in this section, is that while we live in the world... We have to be on guard. 
So we have the church here who apparently is allowing the culture to influence them. Again, Paul says you're doing things that not even the pagans do, and and you're prideful, and you're boasting, and you're arrogant about it. And y'all, let's be honest, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has lots of ideas that we don't hold to as Christians, lots of very different ideas. And we have to protect each other, and we have to protect the church. When you read about Paul saying, cast this man out, give him over to Satan, I know that can seem like really, really harsh. But I want to give you some metaphors that I think are very helpful. Jesus is described as the head of the body. The body is the church. Jesus is described as the husband to the bride. The bride is the church. Jesus is described as the cornerstone to the house of God, the family of God being built, which is the church. Jesus is the head of the body, the husband to the bride, the church, and he's the chief cornerstone of the house of God, the church. Do we take care of protecting our bodies? Husbands, do we take care and protect our wives, our brides? My wife and I just celebrated 17 years of marriage yesterday. I will take care of my bride. I will protect her. Families, do we protect our homes? Do we guard our homes about what kind of stuff we allow in there? Yeah. So why would it be any different to protect the church? We have to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be insulated from the world, but not isolated from the world. And there's a pattern in Scripture of this idea of protection. I'm not going to go into all these. You can write them down. But 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, take every thought captive for Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, it's a great one to read later about putting on the full armor of God and about how we protect ourselves and our community of believers from head to toe. Galatians chapter 6, we talked about the men's conference last year. You got a brother who's struggling with sin? Man, help a brother out. But be on your guard. There's this pattern of guarding ourselves in Scripture. We have to be in the world. We have to be. Because there are lost people in the world who, who will be across that other side of the million-mile chasm from God forever. And God will use you to speak the truth of the gospel from your lips into other people's lives so that they may be saved. We have to be in the world, but we've got to protect and guard that we don't allow influences of the world to creep in. Some people think, that the world is like neutral. And what we do here is spiritual formation. The world is not neutral. The Bible talks about how God has allowed, and, and he allows it, and I don't always completely understand, but I trust him. He has allowed, the Bible describes, the prince of the powers of the air to do things on this planet. The prince of the power of the air is the devil. He's always at work walking around, knocking, looking like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We have, we, have to, we have to become stronger. The world is not neutral. The world is pulling us towards one worldview. We have to hold to a different worldview. We have to be in the world, but we have to be on our guard. That's one of the things we see here. And why do we have to be on our guard? Because we have to stay salty. You probably remember this from when Jesus talked about, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. We have to protect the church is supposed to be holy. Holy means set apart. We have to look different. We guard the church so that we can stay salty. And Jesus says that the salt loses its saltiness, then it's, how can it be made salty again? It's not good for anything. You've got to throw it out. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to guard. So let me ask you a question. Husbands, wives, 
What are you allowing? What worldly influences are you allowing into your marriage that contaminate it? Families, what worldly influences are you allowing in your homes that contaminate it? Man, there's a really good series on Netflix. It's a really good series on Amazon Prime. Everybody's talking about it. Hey, have you watched this? Have you watched this? Yeah, they go watch it. Look, there's some really vulgar, nasty, sexual, immoral stuff in there. But I'll just try and tune that up. You know, look, I got to have a job and everybody pads their resume. Okay, it's just a little white lie. We allow that we put this, we take this sin in our life and we sweep it under the rug and there's still patterns of sin in our life that we haven't yet gotten to. And Paul describes it. That's why Paul uses these terms like yeast. Have you ever seen yeast? Go home and, and pour some yeast into the palm of your hand. Look how tiny, so tiny. And yet it has a, such a dramatic impact. Last weekend, my daughter made two loaves of bread, exact same recipe, did everything exactly the same, let it rise the same. One had yeast, one did not have yeast. Very different outcome. Do you have these small patterns of sin in your life that you've just been sweeping under the rug? We don't really want to do the hard work on it. Are you allowing things in your home? Don't allow things in your home, church. Guard your homes. Guard your marriages. Guard, guard the church against outside influences of the culture. We should be influencing them because we have the greatest story ever told. Everybody's looking for hope. Everybody. I don't care what they tell you. They're looking for hope that won't disappoint them or will never put them to shame. And we have that. And his name is Jesus. The hope that is an anchor for our soul. I want my soul to be anchored to something. I'm sick of being tossed to and fro by the waves of change. I want my, my hope to be anchored, my soul to be anchored. And we have it. So we have to guard while we're in the world. That's why Paul uses these words like remove, throw out, get rid of. Seems harsh. But what social, cultural influences are you in your home that you need to cast out, throw out, and get rid of? While we live in the world, we must be on guard. And that brings us to the final kind of thing we see in this section. I love it. Paul, Paul's writing about this man, and he says this really harsh language, get rid of, throw out, cast out, give him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. But he says something really, really important. So that he may be saved. Repentance must precede restoration. Everybody wants to be restored. You want to get better? Yeah, I want to get better. You want to be transformed? I do want to be transformed. Think about that hutch that was up here. It didn't look that bad in the beginning. It looked like it had been at, at Grandma's house for many years and just needed a little TLC. And then by the end, it was beautiful, and it had that backdrop in it, and it was all painted that nice green color. It was, it was lovely. But it had to be sanded down and stripped down, and, and, and screws that wouldn't let loose with a Phillips head screwdriver anymore had to be pulled out. There's a lot of hard that had to take place for that thing to be restored. And so we talk about the sin and we talk about the, the, the good news of, of the gospel and we talk about grace and what grace is. It, it frees us from sin, church. It's not licensed as sin. 
it frees us from, we've got to be on guard and we do all these things, but there's something really important that has to happen in the individual life of every believer. At some point, we have to repent. And repentance isn't saying, I'm sorry. Remember as a young man, I would fall into patterns of sin. I said, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Man, I wasn't doing a dadgum thing different. I hadn't surrendered my life to Jesus. I was just trying on my own. I could tough it out. I'm too busy caring about, caring about other people. I can't focus on myself right now. I'll figure it out later. But repentance has to be, has to precede restoration. If we want to be restored, we have to repent. And repentance isn't saying, I'm sorry. Jesus stands, here, here I am in my sin, right? Jesus stands on the other side of the chasm saying, I made a way for you and it costs you nothing. The free gift of God is grace. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. And Jesus is standing there saying, I've made a way for you. I lived the perfect life you were supposed to live. I died the criminal's death on the cross you were supposed to die. I rose two days later and kicked death in the teeth so that you could have a relationship with the king of the universe despite the fact that you're a convicted traitor. And I offer you that at no cost. You just have to believe it and follow me. And then I stand over here. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. Yes, I believe. Thank you. You're my co-pilot. Love that. Thank you. And, and yet we are still moving in this direction towards the patterns of sin in our life. No, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for that gift. Yes, I'm so sorry. Um, look, it, nobody knows. It's small. It's a little thing. Nobody knows. If I talk to my wife about it, man, she's going to kill me. You know, people will hate me. I can't talk to my pastors at church about it. What, they think I'm a terrible person. Jesus stands there offering us the free gift and what we have to do is we have to repent and the word repent means a turning. I can't keep going this way anymore. I can't. I have to turn and reach right out and grab it. And the word that we sang about at the beginning of the service and the word that we're going to sing about now is a word I didn't learn until my 20s. And the word is surrender. have to surrender. I'm sick of trying on my own. I have to surrender. There is a cost to discipleship. Jesus invites us to come and follow, but he says, you have to hate everything else in relation to the way that you feel about me, even your own life. There's a cost to it. He invites us to repent. He invites us to turn and take hold of the grace, and what that requires is full surrender. Some of you here today have been in church your whole life. You grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian home. <clears throat> have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? Some of you are in here and you've been coming to church for a little bit. Somebody invited you. and I'm, Again, I'm so glad that you're here and you're hearing this and you're like, this is a little bit of crazy talk. Maybe you're invited to surrender your life to Jesus. Some of you in here, you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you are a transformed person. And I praise God for that. And I see it in you guys. I know stories in this church. Amazing. We're going to sing a song. Some of you will be familiar with. It's an old hymn. I surrender all. It's short, but it's powerful. But I, I want us to do something different. 
Think of this not as a song we're singing as a group. Think of this as a song that you're singing to him. And what I need you to do is only sing to him, I surrender all, if you truly mean it. Nobody's judging you. If you truly mean it, sing it. Sing it loud. Put your hands in the air. If you're not there and you haven't yet, maybe it's time for you to sit quietly and pray that to him. Lord, I have to have the courage to surrender. I've been trying to fix it on my own, but the chasm is too far. I haven't guarded my marriage and I haven't guarded my family. I haven't guarded my home because I've been trying to fix it on my own. So I invite you, if that's you, maybe you just need to sit quietly and pray. And don't sing those words till you're ready. We have to understand the gospel of grace. We have to protect the church so that we can influence the world. And at some point, every single one of us has got to repent and turn. And we get eternal life knowing God forever. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these friends. I thank you for the opportunity that once we were so far removed from you that now we can have eternal life through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. And that changes us. We can love because you first loved us. We can forgive because you first forgave us. And the gospel of grace, God changes us. So I pray that if I have friends in this room today who have not yet surrendered their life and repented and turned, God, you'd give them the courage to do it today. March 19th, 2023 would be a day that they will always remember. Help us not forget. Help us not be like that Corinthian church. Help us not be like that man so that we can be a city on a hill to tell others about Jesus. We can stay salty and influence the world for Jesus and bring them the hope that is an anchor for their soul. I pray these things in the name of Jesus.